Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Lee Precopio, with Consultant 360. Patients with community-acquired bacterial pneumonia, or CABP, are often treated empirically. Illness severity and mortality prediction scores are utilized to help healthcare practitioners determine the appropriate site of treatment for each patient. While treatment in the outpatient setting is favorable to requiring hospitalization, outpatient management has challenges of its own. Today, we are joined by Frank Lavecchio to further discuss the treatment of CABP in the outpatient setting. Dr. Lavecchio is the Medical Director of Clinical and Community Translational Research at Arizona State University and the Principal Investigator for the Infectious Disease Network Studies. Thank you for joining me today, Dr. Lavecchio. How is treatment managed in the outpatient setting and what are specific challenges in this setting? Treatment in the outpatient setting is always evolving. There's many newer antibiotics out, but if we kind of go with the guidelines, I think it's a good place to start and you can kind of add on. I think one of the things you should ask yourself with your patient that's gonna be okay for outpatient therapy, and that's based upon maybe your clinical gestalt, their social situation, maybe you've gone through CURB 65 or PSI. And then you should think about you know, the regimen you can give them. And think about the guidelines, they often recommend amoxicillin. And I find a lot of us don't, when I say us, I mean clinicians don't really use amoxicillin. I think it's more common in other countries, but they usually recommend amoxicillin one gram three times a day. And I think the argument that a lot of us say in America is, well, we're going to miss atypical pneumonias. And it's true, amoxicillin won't cover things like Legionella or mycoplasm or chlamydia pneumonia, um, but it seems like it's less likely to cause significant harm. With the exception of Legionella, Legionella is more likely to kill you, but those patients typically look ill. I think there's a worry of that. So we usually tend to give something like doxycycline, doxycycline 100 twice a day. Um, It's a recommendation for it, but it wasn't a strong recommendation because there aren't as many trials with doxycycline. Um, I tend to use doxycycline, but I'm always worried about patients taking it and taking their calcium product or magnesium product at the same time, so I'm always cautious to how they take it. I'm also, also cautious, and I caution them, you can't go out in the sun, et cetera. It's going to cause a pretty significant sunburn. The thing that we often give is macrolides. Um, many times people give you know, azithromycin. And I'm always telling people or physicians, just be aware of what your pneumococcal resistance rate is, because there's a lot of macrolide pneumococcal resistance. And if you do have somebody who's going home and they have comorbidity, I think you have to crank up the volume a little bit. You could do monotherapy with the respiratory fluoroquinolone. There's only you know, a few left out there, uh, you know, levofloxacin or gemofloxacin. Personally, I tend not to use fluoroquinolone if I could avoid it. And the reason why is if you have other agents, they might be considered safer. You know, as we've heard and know, fluoroquinolones are commonly associated with many QTC prolongation, many drug-drug interactions, tendon ruptures, uh, et cetera. So if they have comorbidities, you can use a fluoroquinolone but as one agent. But think about it in the sense that, you know, did I have alternatives? You know, why am I giving this? Because there is potential for harm there. Another option with comorbidities is 
combination therapy with something like amoxicillin, probiotic acid, and a macrolide. Okay. So you should add on maybe a cephalosporin and a macrolide or, you know, and doxy. So the way I like to think of it as is you have to give two agents, one to cover strep pneumo really well and one to cover atypicals really well. And you're not using the monotherapy for clinolones. So I'd say think about augmentin and amacrolide, or think about a cephalosporin and amacrolide, or a cephalosporin and doxycycline. Now, if you ask me what I personally do, is I usually give a respiratory uh, for quinolone if the patient can afford it. They're relatively safe, usually, you know, oral third generation. And many times I'll give a macrolide with. I think for me, that seems like an easier regimen, you know, somewhat cheaper. If my macrolide resistance is really, really high, you know, hopefully the cephalosporin will help overcome that and will assist in killing strep pneumo. Doxycycline, even though it's generic, it is uh, still somewhat cost prohibitive. Ask people to kind of look and see, you know, good RX prices still might be in, in the hundreds of dollars. Could you discuss the latest updates to the IDSA ATS guidelines on outpatient management? Ask yourself one question. Did this patient fall into the category of outpatient pneumonia? You know, maybe it's your clinical gestalt, the PSI index, your curve 65. Then ask yourself, are there risk for MRSA or pseudomonas? Because for one of those two, you got to add on different agents. The standard regimens many times are amoxicillin, doxycycline, or macrolide. Of course, paying attention to the fact that you have lots of pneumococcal resistance uh, to macrolides, and just be aware of that. In general, we don't like to use macrolides unless the resistance rate in your community for pneumococcus is less than 25%. If you have comorbidities, which many patients do, you should do combination therapy with augmentin or cephalosporin and amacrolide or doxycycline. Or you could do monotherapy with a respiratory chloroquinolone. There's pros and cons to all the regimens. You know, personally, I try to avoid the chloroquinolones if I have an alternative because of some of the side effects associated with chloroquinolone. What are some common empiric treatment regimens that healthcare providers often utilize in the management of CABP? When you treat somebody empirically, which often you have to because you don't have, you know, cultures back, and even if you do get cultures, sometimes they're not that helpful, you have to think about how severe the patient is. And I think, you know, many things you should think about is the patient is non-severe and going inpatient. Many people usually give a beta-lactam and a macrolide. So beta-lactams include things like rocephin, uh, for example, and ceftriaxone. Macrolides many times include things like azithromycin. You don't have to use those regimens, but those have become pretty standard or pretty commonplace. Okay? Or they use a respiratory chloroquinolone. And you have to ask yourself, do I have to add MRSA coverage? And none of those agents cover MRSA, certainly not all that well. You also have to ask yourself, do I have to add pseudomonas coverage? And if any of those are true, you have to change your antibiotics a little bit, increase the coverage. When you think about severe inpatient, you know, again, you, you probably aren't with a beta-lactam and macrolide, or you might give a beta-lactam and or chloroquinolone. So that gets a little bit more into severe category. That gets a little bit more into the person that's going to the ICU or pretty close to the intensive care unit or looking like they might need that. You think about adding MRSA coverage, and MRSA coverage, many people give vancomycin, for example, but there are some other agents that work well and might be easier 
uh, later on, you know, the, you know, through the troughs, et cetera, don't have the renal issues, et cetera. Agents such as, you know, linazolate, for example, tyrolene, for example, which is a respiratory uh, cephalosporin that also covers uh, MSSA. Okay. And then you should think about adding coverage for pseudomonas. Uh, empirically, if they are at risk for that and look relatively ill, and things that you might add, you know, depending on your institution, you might add things like cefepine or you know, maybe we use zosin, for example. You should think about being more aggressive about culturing these folks. So a third option for patients who have contraindications to macrolides and fluoroquinolones is sometimes, you know, combination therapy with uh, a beta-lactam, ampicillin and sulbactam, cefotaxine, ceftiroline or ceftraxone, and doxycycline. Remember, doxycycline doesn't have as many robust clinical trials, but I think the clinical experience is pretty strong with doxycycline, and that people do tend to use it a lot more. Could you discuss patient factors that influence which treatment option is used in the outpatient setting and for how long? Obviously, if the patient has been allergic to an agent, you're not going to use it. If they had a bad reaction to a medication in the past, you're not going to use it. The other thing you should realize is if the patient is older, the older you are and the more you know, steroids that you're on, the more likely you are to get a reaction to a fluoroquinolone. So if they're older and they're on a fluoroquinolone, you know, they are more likely to develop tendon issues, other issues that could come up. And the data is not great, but there are some retinal detachment issues. There are some aortic issues that have been associated with fluoroquinolone. I know that the data goes back and forth on those two, but most people don't argue that fluoroquinones do have a lot of drug interaction and are associated with tendinopathies or the ligamentous thing. And I also think about all the other agents, if I'm going to give them something like doxycycline, am I worried about the reaction or the binding with the calcium? Is this patient able to stay away from their regimen of food, et cetera, and calcium? So they don't have to take it at the same time or magnesium. Usually you could accomplish that just with some basic education. So those are some things that I look for. And I look for my resistance in the community. And resistance in the community is tough to find because the patients who get cultured and grow cultures at community required are usually the sicker patients, the one that get bronchoscopy or the intensive care unit. It is somewhat of a bias. You know, you're not generally culturing people from the outpatient who are relatively stable unless you're doing it for study purposes. In fact, the guidelines tell you not to do that. Don't culture people in the outpatient. Could you briefly discuss how you may have to modify a treatment regimen because of a patient's antibiotic allergy, potential drug interactions, specific exposures, or other patient-specific factors? When you hear patients' antibiotic allergies, there's almost always another choice that you can go with to avoid their allergies. You always want to ask if it's a true allergy or not. And we're always worried that if allergic penicillin, which many people are really not, even though they say they are, you know, is there a cross allergy with cephalosporins? That is extremely, extremely low. And unfortunately, a lot of people would avoid the cephalosporins. I think they should not, unless there's a true known allergy to cephalosporins. When you think about potential drug interactions, et cetera, of the drugs that we mentioned, the the main drugs that cause drug interactions are fluoroquinolones, that interactions with cytochrome P450, doxycycline or tetracycline have interactions with medications, et cetera, that have cations in them, you know, magnesium and calcium, et cetera, where they'll bind it. 
Cephalosporins really are, are relatively safe with regard to drug-drug interactions. There aren't many that they have. Sometimes we give linazolid. I think we mentioned that earlier for MRSA or MSSA pneumonia. And if you're taking an SSRI or something that increases your net serotonin, perhaps for depression, there is a small potential that you get serotonin syndrome when you add linazolid. When you think about patient-specific factors that influence your care, travel, age are all important factors. If you think about uh, the older you are, maybe you've had multiple vaccines for pneumococcal pneumonia, you still can get pneumococcal pneumonia, but they tend to be different strains of it. Think about their exposures. Have they been on an antibiotic in the past? If they've been on an antibiotic, you know, certainly in the last 30 days, uh, they are at risk for resistant organisms. And you should think about increasing the coverage or changing from what they had been on prior. Great. We appreciate you taking the time to answer our questions today. All right. Thank you.